0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Shula Newman. A rich volume of St. Louis-focused writing was released earlier this month. Like the city at its heart, the book is full of contrast. There's fragmentation and struggle, and there's also warmth and life and nostalgia. The St. Louis Anthology brings together wide-ranging St. Louis voices over the course of nearly 70 different written pieces in 240 pages. And the person spearheading spearheading the whole effort is the anthology's editor, St. Louis native Ryan Schisler, who joins me now over the phone. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Shula. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you.
0: Great to talk to you, too. Um, I wanted to kick this off by just sort of asking, what is the purpose of this book, the St. Louis Anthology?
1: Yeah, um, well, the St. Louis Anthology comes from Belt Publishing out of Cleveland, and they have a whole series of anthologies of nonfiction and poetry about different cities in the Rust Belt and Midwest and Appalachia. Um, And those anthologies broadly kind of paint a picture of the city as told by the people who live there or who have lived there or have connections to it somehow. And that's the same with the St. Louis Anthology. Um, What I wanted it to do was to kind of dive into all the different parts of St. Louis, um, historically and contemporarily, and really put uh, local voices and local first-person perspectives at the forefront.
0: And I'm curious, though, because you actually don't live in St. Louis anymore, right?
1: That's right. So, uh, I live in Chicago now. Um, so why did you feel compelled
0: years. to do this? What drew you to the project?
1: Uh, I grew up in St. Louis. Um, I still call St. Louis home. I moved to Chicago for uh, personal and professional um, reasons. Uh, still visit St. Louis a lot um, And so I still love the city, I still consider myself a St. Louisan, Um, and I've worked with Belt before for their magazine, and that's how I got connected with them and knew about this uh, series overall. So when I approached them and asked why there hadn't been a St. Louis one out of curiosity, it led to a conversation of um, me becoming the editor of their St. Louis anthology.
0: Ask a question, you get work. Exactly. (laughs) um, So tell me a little bit about the people who wrote for the anthology. Uh, How did you find them? Did you solicit essays and poems or were these people that were already published?
1: It's a really diverse group, um, a combination of all the things you just said. There was an open call for submissions uh, between February and July approximately of last year. Um, And I received about 120 submissions uh, from nearly as many writers. Uh, There are a few multiple submissions. Um, I also spent time reaching out to organizations, to universities uh, in the St. Louis area to circulate the call, um, approached some individuals personally who I know. uh, And one thing I'm proud of particular is that this volume includes people who are not writers at all. Um, There are a few examples of individuals who I approached who I knew had a compelling story to tell, but I wanted them to you know, center their own voice in the piece and not just have someone write about them. Right.
0: That makes sense. Um, And then you organize the book in a very specific way,
1: right? Yeah. uh, There are three sections. There's histories, memories, and realities. Um, And that came after uh, I had made the selection of the pieces. um, And it kind of just kind of came together organically after putting some thought into how the book should be organized.
0: But how do you distinguish between history and memories? What's the difference in the quality of those essays?
1: Yeah, the histories, um, I try to have them more focused on, um, you know, deep dives into events, into uh, events that brought people to St. Louis, into chunks of St. Louis's history, kind of at a macro level. And memories are more about specific um, moments in an individual's past, if that makes sense.
0: I think I think so, I think so. Let's talk about one of the essays, especially that I, falls into the history category. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the essay about the Veiled Prophet. Um, by yes. Devin O'Shea. Um, now, I always suspected that the Veiled Prophet was linked to our Confederate past, but this essay um, makes it obvious that it's way more complicated like that. So why don't you talk a little bit about who O'Shea is and um, what he did to find out about the history behind the Veiled Prophet?
1: Yeah. Uh, Devin is a, another St. Louis native who um, is uh, in college in Chicago right now, actually, uh, coincidentally. Mm. Um, And he has done a lot of research in the Veiled Prophet Society, kind of looking at the roots of it um, beyond the version that uh, we see publicized each year. Um, Yeah. And I think he did a great job at kind of diving into that darker past um, that many folks might not might not consider. It was uh, the entire image, the entire persona of the Veiled Prophet came about as a strike breaking mechanism uh, during the railroad strikes.
0: Right. And then and then. It also was linked to uh, a poet from like hundreds of years before when it was first created. That's what O'Shea also talked about in the essay.
1: Yeah, there was um, the name of the poet is actually slipping my mind right now, but um, it's a it was a literary device that had already existed that um, those who were looking to break the strike drew on to Um you know, kind of create the the persona of the Veiled Prophet in the St. Louis context.
0: Yeah, the Veiled Prophet that comes from Coruscant, which now I'll never think about the Coruscant Ballroom at the Chase the same way. Right, right. Well. Um, Another story that really struck me was the rent strike of 1969 in St. Louis. Um, I'm curious about how that story is uniquely St. Louis? Because in a lot of ways, it fits into this larger trend that was happening at the time with, you know, the Black Power movement and um, people and this whole civil rights movement. So why did you think that that was a particularly St. Louis story?
1: Um, in that instance, it's a St. Louis story because it was set, I guess, in St. Louis. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, a lot of things that happen in the city are uh, indicative of larger things going on in the country. And I think that was just a great local example about what um, that time was like in St. Louis and what how people were organizing, how everyday people were organizing, which is something that is not um, unique uh, in any time in the city. Um, people continue to be on the ground themselves and the parallels that Clark and Caitlin made between the figures from 1969 and the activists today, um, I think really paint a picture of that continuity.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um... And it also points to um it was one of the first essays in the book, I think, that starts talking about the racial issues that St. Louis has. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of that in this book. Um, and I'm wondering if you can talk about, like how you figured out who you should ask to talk about what aspects of St. Louis's very complicated racial racial past,
1: yeah. A lot of the submissions that address those issues actually came about organically. Um, and of course, I was really intentional about making the selections um, to include as many different and diverse voices as possible. Um, and so that, that wasn't a challenge finding people who could or wanted to or could uh, effectively write about those issues. And one of the most poignant examples that come to mind is Vivian Gibson's story, Sun Up to Sundown, which is the opening piece of the memory section. And hers was actually one of the very first submissions that came in. And I um have said before I don't know how she found it so quickly. I hadn't even really publicized it much yet, but um she submitted a few of her memoirs about growing up in Mill Creek and watching her grandmother take uh, or have a life where she was out in West county every day working um for a white family and the strain that put on their family um, and it's a it's a really compelling uh, piece
0: yeah it, it's a it's this beautiful piece that. Kind of captures the the beauty of this loving grandmother with the ugliness of se- of segregation and what domestic right. workers endured in the 20th century.
1: Right, yeah. right, and a lot of Vivian's writing um, dives into what it was like growing up in Mill Creek before um, that neighborhood was demolished. And the good news out of uh, well, a piece of the good news out of this anthology is that Bell Publishing has agreed to publish her complete memoirs in the summer of next year. Wow, that's yeah. that's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Um, another piece that was in the memories book, uh, memory section rather was segregated in heaven. Mm -hmm. Um, the note says, uh, and this literally is about, uh, a funeral, I'm sorry, a cemetery, correct? I didn't.
1: Uh, segregation in heaven. No, it's about, um, it's set in 1907 about a African American teacher who is living in a predominantly white neighborhood and is asked to move out by the local priest. Yeah.
0: That's right. So, what, what, uh, and of course, the, she refuses to move out, as do the other three African American people in that neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. The note in the book says that this was actually originally published in 1907.
1: Yeah, um, I think there might have, that might not be clear. There was a newspaper article about it published in 1907, and Mark Lehrer, the writer, um, kind of drew on that to create this illustrative scene um, in this short piece.
0: Ah, okay. That makes, yeah. that makes a lot of yeah. sense. Cause I was like, it seems like it's, from a very 21st century perspective. Right, right. (laughs) So, great. Um, You know, I wanted to back off a little bit from the contents and just talk about the cover of this book. I mean, all of the um, Belt City, uh, sorry, Belt Publishing series uh, about these anthologies, whether they're from Pittsburgh or Cleveland, they all have really distinctive covers. And this one has not the arch, which is what the stereotypical St. Louis scene tends to be, but it's actually a wrought iron fence. Um why Why was that illustration picked?
1: Pick? Uh, the inspiration for that actually came from Asher Cohn's piece, The Black Iron Fences of St. Louis, which is in the reality section, I believe the opening piece of the third and last section of the mm-hmm. book. Um, and so when working with Bell to talk about, you know, what would be good for cover art um, and kind of what themes uh, were prevalent throughout the book, there was, of course, the divides in St. Louis. St. Louis is a very divided, very segregated city. Um, And Asher's analysis of that by kind of drawing on these ubiquitous black iron fences found throughout the city seemed like a really simple, um, solid example of that premise. And so that became inspiration for the cover.
0: That's the final uh, paragraph of that essay, in fact, says, people say St. Louis has changed since 2014. That's a reference to the year that Michael Brown was killed. But the fences have lar- have, by and large, remained a city whose politics, past and present, can be seen in the fences it keeps up. Doesn't just trap its residents; it traps itself.
1: Yeah, um, I think Asher, you know, using the fences as a as a metaphor and literary tool is a very effective way of describing the divisions in the city.
0: Definitely. Um, I want to discuss this some more, but I think we actually need to go to a break, a quick break. We'll be back soon to continue this conversation with Ryan Schisler. He is the editor of the St. Louis Anthology, a book of essays and poems um, put out by Belt Publishing. We'll be back shortly. This is St. Louis on the Air, St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.
1: Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.
0: And welcome back to St. Louis on the air. I'm Shula Newman. Now let's get back to our conversation with Ryan Schisler, editor of the St. Louis Anthology. It was a book that was released earlier this month. Um, Ryan, I had uh, left off by talking about the um, wrought iron fences and the segregation that um, mm-hmm. sort of plagues St. Louis. Um, in the realities section of this book, there's a lot of essays that seem to focus on Ferguson, on Michael Brown, on racism, on guns. And I'm wondering if that's reality. Is is that our reality now, or is there some other reason that you chose to sh- to, to uh, that you chose to include those stories?
1: Yeah. Um That does take up a a sizable chunk of the last section and that was intentional. When I embarked on this project I knew that everything that happened in Ferguson and North County five years ago and since and before um, the root causes of all of it of course had to be addressed in some way and I thought a lot about what was written about St. Louis over the last five years and the voices that had been left out and so when I was thinking about who I wanted to write those pieces. It was those individuals who perhaps didn't have the platform um, that they should have five years ago. So, for example, um, there's a a selection of small pieces written by students in the Normandy school district um, Mm -hmm. because I thought that the youth voice, particularly during that time, was perhaps underrepresented uh, and thinking about, you know, individuals who more or less were Mike Brown's contemporaries. and the the realities that they live with. And so that selection dives into their thoughts about and experiences about gun violence in North County. And that was actually an assignment that they had all done for a class prior to me reaching out to the school district. Um, so those were the conversations they were already having uh, in in their own classrooms.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ina Shannon is the teacher of that class and we've mm-hmm. had her several times. And speaking of teachers, actually, um, Mike, who is a former history teacher in St. Louis, called us Uh, He says that he thinks the anthology does a good job of conveying the history of St. Louis. And he wonders if you foresee some kind of educational component with this project.
1: Um, I haven't yet, but there has been uh, when the publicity about the book first started going out, I did get a few emails from teachers in the city wanting to learn more about it. Um, uh, Nothing has come of that yet, but hopefully, hopefully soon.
0: Okay. It's a great idea. It really is a great history, especially of, as you said, the um, the voices that we don't usually hear from. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, these are actually voices that we do sometimes hear from, but the the essays about refugees and immigrants coming to St. Louis, um, whether they were Holocaust survivors or Bosnian refugi- refugees, um, there are really some beautiful moments here, but I'm wondering what made them St. Louis stories for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... I'll go with the example of the the three Bosnian contributors. Mm -hmm. Um, They're, of course, going to be a St. Louis anthology without Bosnian voices uh, in today's St. Louis. Um, So it was imperative to include them. And there are three by Maya Sariqovic, Ibru Soljic, and Vinita Rizvich. The first two have poems. The latter has an essay. And I think what makes their kind of combined um, selection of St. Louis is that When the Bosnian community is talked about in St. Louis, it's always in a very positive way about a community coming here and fleeing war and trauma and and building something and recovering in some ways. And that is a very true and very great story. But what is often left out, and I think this is the kind of St. Louis aspect is things that are glossed over, is there's still a lot of trauma in that community. And Maya Sadikovich's poems, um, there are three throughout the entire book, uh, really paint a narrative arc that... Um, I think a lot of folks who are not part of that community in St. Louis miss.
0: Yes. The, in fact, her, her poems are so beautiful. And the last one in the book um, is, is especially poignant. I, I, am going to go ahead and read it. Um, it's actually called, I wonder how many of my people feel just okay. That's the entire poem.
1: Right, right. And that comes after. Um, or perhaps right before I, I it's slipping my mind, a story about Syrian refugees coming to St. Louis now right. and the kind of real-time handling of that trauma. And that trauma, um, I think people often don't think about it, doesn't go away. Um, and just in being able to include that in this narrative and kind of juxtapose that to the positive stories, um, I think is a sense of realism that is often lacking.
0: Yeah, and it's a great reflection of of that community and how easy it is for people who are not Bosnian, who didn't go through that trauma, to be reminded that it's still with us. Right. Right.
1: And kind of tangentially to that, I think there's um, just talking about, you know, remembering traumas and handling traumas, the opening poem of the entire book um, by Galen Gritz, Blue Thunder, Red Thunder, kind of, you know, you brought up the arch earlier and how that's kind of the assumed image of St. Louis, but there's a narrative to the arch that, we often don't hear and that it's more or less a monument to manifest destiny. Right. And for Native American people living in St. Louis means entirely, something entirely different or can. Um, and Galen, uh, I think sets a tone in his poem that asks us to consider St. Louis differently than the dominant narratives we might hear.
0: Right. He, one, one of the lines in his poem says, there's no one who knows us now no one to miss our poverty and hardship that you induced um it's it's a very um you know it reminds me that a lot of these essays while some of them are definitely very loving about saint louis um you know this is not a book of that's just one big love letter to saint louis um some of the essays are quite critical in fact one of them by alonzo adams um it's called uncontrolled eruptions Mm -hmm. um there's this one point in the book and, and he's a he's a pastor for new jerusalem missionary baptist church in ferguson But he talks, and again, I'm just going to read from what he says. Um, He writes, in 2018, when I had to go into the St. Louis County municipal court system, I saw about 200 people in line waiting to have their time before the judge. The vast majority of people waiting to be seen were minorities. The question that came to my mind was, if African Americans make up just a quarter of St. Louis County's population, why does it seem we are most of the quote unquote invited guests in the courtroom. There is a genocide, a lynching that will catch us. And and that's just, you know, it and it goes on from there. But um, you know, it's very it's very powerful and there's several essays like this. Um why was it important to include the anger and the frustration?
1: I think it's important to include because it's what makes it, it's or it's the reality of living in St. Louis and You know this book like you said is both a love letter but also a very harsh critique but those critiques i think come from a place of love for the city and this volume is every single person that wrote in here whether they wrote a kind of happy piece or a critical piece they did it because they care about the city and the place and their home and i think that in itself is what makes the st louis is that despite these things we are constantly trying to make it better
0: Right. And the idea also of St. Louis's home, I think, is interesting. And in another essay called Inside Out uh, by Kirsten Carter, uh, she Mm -hmm. actually talks about, like, who is St. Louis and who isn't St. Louis.
1: Right. And And I mean, like. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, like in any place, you know, the city is made up of people who have born there and have never left. People who've moved there from somewhere else and also people who have moved away from St. Louis. Um, like myself, but that identity is still shared. And like you said, Kirsten's piece really gets into um, that question: is is about who gets to claim this place as home?
0: Right. And I know that as uh, myself, I'm a I'm a native St. Louis who who moved away for many many years and came back. And I am constantly feeling this dual identity. On the one hand, somebody can ask me where I went to school, and I can give an answer, you know. But right. on, on the other hand. You know, I don't have this, as she describes it, I, you know, living five miles from all the people that I grew up with. Um, and I think a lot of transplants feel that way.
1: Yeah, I haven't had the the transplant experience, so I can't quite speak to that. But that is something that um, is, is reflected in here as well. Not all of the writers are uh, St. Louis born. Not all of them are St. Louis based. Um, some people were born somewhere else, lived in St. Louis for a minute, then moved somewhere else and submitted work from somewhere else about their time here. So it really, the collection overall represents all those different types of folks.
0: Definitely. You know, another really fun aspect that you included in here was you managed to get the photos and essays from Humans of St. Louis. Yes. Um, I'm wondering first if you want to describe what that is for people who aren't following them on on Facebook or Instagram.
1: Yeah, the Humans of St. Louis project um, with Lindy Drew at the the head of it, I believe, uh, is a kind of photo document portrait project where... Um, they take photos and portraits of people throughout the city and tell and have people tell stories around those photos um, and so including them in the anthology came out of my desire to have you know people's faces actually be visually in in the book in a kind of just a different way than straight prose or poetry of, of telling stories and so those selection of photos um, I think uh, add a lot it's a bit of a break uh, in the reality section that allow you to see some people's faces and um, read their stories attached to them.
0: And just to experience some of the joy, I mean, this one photograph of a little girl playing on something and the quote under it just says, I like pancakes. I mean, right. it's just, right. it's so sweet and it's part of what's so charming about the Humans of St. Louis project.
1: Um, yeah, and I think including that um, just gives balance, you know, to the sometimes very intense critiques of the city. But the people who live there are still happy, yeah. you know, and it's important to reflect that as well.
0: Right. Um, I have just a couple of more questions. And I wanted to also first, I wanted to um, bring our attention to one last essay. Um, and that is the essay by Kirsty Pemberton. Um, yes. It's so moving. It's called My Brain Tumor. And apparently she wrote this as part of a high school project. And she since has passed away. I'm wondering how you found this.
1: Um, elementary school, actually, it oh, was an elementary school project. Um, I interview I'm a freelance journalist as well and I've written a lot about Coldwater Creek and the Westlake landfill in St. Louis and in doing so met Kirstie's mom um, Kirby Pemberton and she oftentimes tells a story of her daughter who died from a brain from brain cancer that is mostly found in um, older men and they live quite close to the Westlake landfill and her mother grew up near Coldwater Creek and so again, it was thinking about how do I tell that story from, or how do I find someone to tell that story from a first person perspective? Um, I, I talked to Kirby about, you know, if she would feel okay with including Kirsty's story in here, which um, was a class assignment for, uh, you know, her class at the time and where they wrote little storybooks and the actual version has pictures that she drew with it that we weren't able to include. But mm. um, it's a, it's a first-person perspective from what it's like living near the Westlake landfill. It's amazing. Um, and and she
0: even—oh, sorry, continue.
1: I was going to say that is both tragic and and moving and, and quite angering.
0: It is. And there are other essays about the Westlake landfill and Coldwater Creek in here, but I just have to read this last paragraph from, from Kirstie's essay. She goes, since radiation, I've been going to the hospital every six months for an MRI. They want to see if the radiation is shrinking my tumor. It has shrunk a little. I have a tumor in my I have a tremor in my left hand, but I feel I'm doing well and I'm a normal kid. I do well at school and sports and love being me. It's just like so touching. Really right. touching. So thanks for including right. that. Um, it sounds like you'll be heading up another Belt Publishing anthology soon. Is that correct?
1: That's right. Um, I have signed on with a co-editor here in Chicago um, to produce a LGBTQ anthology of the Midwest and Appalachia and Great Plains. So much more geographically broad Uh, than the St. Louis anthology, but much more specific um, in scope, I suppose.
0: That's great. And when do you think that will be coming out?
1: Uh, I think we're scheduled for fall of next year. That's the the timeline right now. The call for submissions is currently open.
0: That's great. So so keep that in mind for everybody who's listening. Um, And when you're not editing anthologies, you said you are a journalist, you're a freelance reporter?
1: Yes, I do freelance journalism, writing and editing for different publications, um, The Guardian, The New York Times, uh, Public Radio International. Um, and I also work in exhibition development at a museum in Chicago full time. Oh, wow.
0: So you do have your hands full. Quite, yeah. <laughs> well, I have one last question for you, and it is about the book. Um, yes. And I'm just wondering, taken as a whole, given how complex and how varied these essays are, what do you think it says about St. Louis? What, what should somebody walk away from it feeling or thinking
1: i think it says that there are so many different versions of saint louis um and i write in the introduction how there are bits and pieces of this book that will be very familiar and very recognizable to everyone but those pieces are different for each individual and rare is the person who can read this whole thing and recognize everything And so what I think it says is that there are so many versions of the city that are so siloed and so separated. And the more that we try to transcend the fences that Asher writes about, if we're thinking about that metaphor, um, the better off we'll be moving in the future. If we can come to more mutual understandings and recognition and validation of each other's experiences in the city
0: sounds like it's an essay, a book of essays, a collection of essays that should probably be revisited in 10 years, 20 years to see how things have changed.
1: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see.
0: (laughs) Well, I want to thank you, Ryan Schistler, so much for uh, being on the show today. Ryan is the editor of the St. Louis Anthology. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, Shula. It's been great.
0: This is St. Louis on the Air, St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.